Prime Minister's questions with Justin Mathers. Question number one, please, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, Mr. Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in this house, I shall have further such meetings later today. Thank you, Mr Speaker. When the penny dropped for the Prime Minister on Monday and she realised that her budget was responsible for crashing the economy, she should have come to this House to explain herself and to apologise to the millions of people who will now be paying hundreds of pounds extra a month on their mortgages because of her mistakes. But now she's here. Can she tell us, given the absolute chaos her government has created, why the Chancellor lost his job but she kept hers? Mr Speaker, I have been very clear that I am Mr Speaker, that I am sorry and that I have made mistakes. But the right thing to do in those circumstances is to make changes which I've made and to get on with the job and deliver for the British people. And Mr Speaker, we've delivered the energy price guarantee, we've helped people this winter and I will continue to do that. Morris Robertson. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Does the Prime Minister agree with me that local people and local councils are best placed to decide how many houses they need and where those houses should go? Yeah, and, yeah. and if she does, Will she end the top-down approach to housing targets and reduce or preferably remove the powers of the planning inspectorate? Prime Minister. Well, my honourable friend is absolutely right. We will abolish the top-down housing targets. We want decisions about homes, about infrastructure, driven by local people, not driven by Whitehall. And that's why we're setting up new, locally driven investment zones. We now come to the Leader of the Opposition, Keir Starmer. Thank you, Mr Speaker. A book is being written about the Prime Minister's time in office. (laughs) Apparently it's going to be out by Christmas. Is that the release date or the title? two months and I have delivered the energy price guarantee making sure that people aren't paying £6,000 bills this winter. I've reversed the national insurance increase and I've also taken steps and we will be taking steps to crack down on the militant unions. Now what, what Mr Speaker, I think Mr Speaker, that is more of a record of action than the honourable gentleman in his two and a half years in the job. Mr Speaker, last week the Prime Minister ignored every question put to her. Instead, she repeatedly criticised Labour's plan for a six-month freeze on energy bills. This week, the Chancellor made it her policy. How can she be held to account when she's not in charge? Mr Speaker, our policy is to protect the most vulnerable for two years. I I had to take the decision, because of the economic situation, to adjust our policies. I am somebody who is prepared to front up. 
I'm prepared to take the tough decisions. Unlike the honourable gentleman who hasn't done anything on businesses, he's done nothing to say he'll protect people after one year. He's got no plan. Mr Speaker, last week the Prime Minister stood there and promised absolutely no spending reductions. They all cheered. This week the Chancellor announced a new wave of cuts. What's the point of a Prime Minister whose promises don't even last a week? Well, I can assure the right honourable gentleman that spending will go up next year and it will go up the year after. But of course, we need to get value for taxpayers' money. The Labour Party has pledged hundreds of billions of spending pledges, none of which they've retracted. The honourable gentleman needs to reflect the economic reality in his policies. Mr Speaker, those spending cuts are on the table for one reason and one reason only, because they crashed the economy. And working, working, people, working people are going to have to pay 500 quid more a month on their mortgages. And what's the Prime Minister's response to say she's sorry? What does she think people will think and say? That's all right. I don't mind financial ruin. At least she apologised. Yeah. Prime Minister. I do think there has to be some reflection of economic reality from the party. The fact is, the fact is that interest rates, interest rates are rising across the world, and the economic conditions have worsened. And we are being honest. We're levelling with the public unlike the Honourable Gentleman who simply won't do it. And what is the Honourable Gentleman doing about the fact that workers, train workers, are again going on strike? The fact is he refuses to condemn the workers. We are bringing forward policies. Mr Speaker, we are bringing forward policies that are going to make sure our railways are protected, people going to work are protected, he backs the strikers, we back the strivers. Mr Speaker, she's asking me questions because we're a government in waiting and they're an opposition opposition in waiting. There's There's no getting away from this. Millions of people are facing horrendous mortgage repayments and she's admitted it's her fault. She shouldn't have conducted an economic experiment on the British public. But it's not just her. They put her there. They're keeping her there. Why on earth would anyone trust the Tories with the economy ever again? Well, I notice, Mr Speaker, he's not actually objecting to a single economic policy that the Chancellor announced on Monday. He's refusing to condemn the strikers. We're on the side of working people. We're going to legislate to make sure we keep our railways open. The honourable gentleman refuses to do anything. Mr Speaker, the only mandate she's ever had is from members opposite. It was a mandate built on fantasy economics and it ended in disaster. The country's got nothing to show for it except the destruction of the economy and the implosion of the Tory party. I've got the list here. 45p tax cut, gone. Corporation tax cut, 
gone. 20p tax cut, gone. Two-year energy freeze, gone. Tax-free shopping, gone. Economic credibility, gone. And her supposed best friend, the former Chancellor, he's gone as well. They're all gone. So why is she still here? I am a fighter and not a quitter. I have acted in the national interest to make sure that we have economic stability. Prime Minister, order, order. I'm going to hear the Prime Minister. I suggest that all members need to hear the answer. Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, I am a fighter and not a On the energy price guarantee. We have. We've delivered on the energy price guarantee. We've delivered on national insurance. We are going to deliver to stop the militant trade unions disrupting our railways. The honourable gentleman has no idea. He has no plan and he has no alternative. James Grundy. Sit. Can I just say, it's obviously it's more popular choice. Come on, James Grundy, you've got a future. Centurion's Rugby League team on their recent promotion to Super League, bringing millions to the local economy. And furthermore, would she also guarantee there are excellent women's Euros team, including Ella Toon from my uh, constituency, Tilsley, will receive the number 10 reception that they so deserve? I join my honourable friend in congratulating the Lee Centurions on their return to the Super League. I had the huge privilege of meeting the Lionesses last week, a fantastic team who won a major tournament for us. We will host the Downing Street reception as soon as their training programme makes them available. I look forward to Rugby League invite as well. Let's now come to the leader of the SNP, Ian Black. Thank you, Mr Speaker. After ten U-turns in two weeks, we're left with a Prime Minister in office but not in power, and families are paying through the teeth for her mistakes. Her latest broken promise has put pensioners in the front line of Tory cuts. So can the Prime Minister perhaps turn to her Chancellor right now, get permission to make another U-turn, and commit to raising the state pension at the rate of inflation? Prime Minister. I honestly don't know what the honourable gentleman is talking about, because... In our manifesto that we will maintain the triple lock, and I am completely committed to it, so is the Chancellor. Well, Mr Speaker, it's no surprising that the Prime Minister's approval ratings are collapsing with an answer like that. The worst polling result for any Prime Minister in history. She's just thrown 12 million pensioners under the Tory bus. And it's not just pensioners. 
I also want to hear Mr Blackford. Mr Speaker, it's not just pensioners feeling the pain. In the last week alone, inflation has risen to a 40-year high. Mortgage rates are at the highest level since the financial crash. And people's energy bills are about to rise to more than £5,000. Can the Prime Minister answer one simple question? Why does she expect everyone else to pay the price for her failure? Prime Minister. I don't think the honourable gentleman can take yes for an answer. I've been clear. I've been clear. We are protecting the triple lock on pensions. And if, and if the if the honourable gentleman is concerned about the economy, why does he continue to advocate for separatism, which would plunge the Scottish economy into chaos? Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. Um, Over the last couple of years, thousands of homes have been proposed or built in Birmingham Northfield constituency, which puts a huge strain on GP and dentist appointments. Would my right honourable friend, the Prime Minister, agree with me that more needs to be done in the planning process to make sure that when we have large-scale developments, we have more capacity in those vital services? Prime Minister. Well, my honourable friend is absolutely right. When we build new houses, we need to make sure there are GP surgeries, schools, infrastructure, and that's why we're introducing a new infrastructure levy to make sure more of the money from developers goes on supporting local communities. Ed Davy. Mr. Speaker, millions of family carers have been forced to cut back on food and heating. One told Carers UK, my son is incontinent. If we don't wash him in warm water several times a day, this will cause him to physically decline. So how do we pay for the gas to heat the water if we are currently at max budget? For all people and carers are struggling enough already in this cost of living crisis, Mr Speaker. So will the Prime Minister guarantee that support for the vulnerable, including carers' allowance, will rise by at least today's inflation rate of 10.1%. Prime Minister. People are struggling. It is difficult at the moment. That's why we put in place the energy price guarantee to make sure the typical household isn't paying more than £2,500. It's why we've supplied an extra £1,200 of support to the most vulnerable. And I can assure the right honourable gentleman we will always support the most vulnerable. They will be our priority. Hey Jones. Thank you. Mr. Speaker, Brecon of Radnorshire has a proud military footprint. Yeah. Not, not least the Cambrian patrol exercise, which I visited last yeah. week. Yeah. It is considered the Olympic gold medal in infantry training, attracting teams from across the world yeah. to compete in a 60-kilometre march over two days in the Brecon Beacons. Will the Prime Minister join me in congratulating all those who took part, not least the team of Gurkha soldiers from the Infantry Battle School in Brecon, who took home a coveted gold medal, further cementing Brecon's special place in the UK Armed Forces? I join my honourable friend in thanking everybody at Brecon Barracks who organises the exercise Cambrian Patrol each year. It is a world-class training exercise, and I congratulate Brecon's Gurkha soldiers for their fantastic achievement of a gold medal. Well done. Dr Philippa Whitford. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. It took just five working days for the Prime Minister 
to crash the pound, damage pension funds and send people's mortgage costs spiralling. Her new Chancellor may have reversed almost all of her policies, but the damage has been done and we now face yet another round of Tory cuts and austerity. So I'd like to ask the Prime Minister and those sitting behind her, why is she still at the dispatch box? And when will voters get their say on this disastrous government? Prime Minister. We are facing very, very difficult economic times. I took took the decision I had to in the interest of economic stability. And what is important is we work together, including with the SNP, to get through this winter and grow the economy. David Jones. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Um, The Prime Minister is to be commended for securing the passage of the Northern Ireland Protocol Bill through this House without amendment before the summer recess. Can she confirm that it's the Government's intention that the Bill should remain unamended and, in particular, that the European Court of Justice should have no jurisdiction in any part of the United Kingdom? Prime Minister. I am completely committed to the Northern Ireland Protocol Bill. It deals with the very specific issues we face in Northern Ireland, the free flow of trade, and also making sure that the people of Northern Ireland are able to benefit from being part of the United Kingdom. And I can tell my honourable friend that any negotiations will reflect the same position that it is in the Protocol Bill. Mr Speaker, we understand that this afternoon's vote on fracking is deemed a confidence vote in the Prime Minister. Can she give us any reason why her own backbenchers or anyone in this country can have confidence in her after her policies have caused chaos in the markets and wrecked the economy? Mr Speaker, we do face very difficult economic times. I have been honest about the mistakes I have made. But what I don't apologise for is the fact that we have helped households through this winter, through the energy price guarantee, the fact that we've reversed the national insurance rise, and the fact we are taking action to get our railways running rather than being disrupted by the militant trade unions she supports. John Barrow. Mr Speaker, there's been a number of low points recently, including the Republic of Ireland's football team singing pro-IRA songs in the changing room, we should never forget the sacrifice of those who paid the price to maintain the peace during the Troubles. Closer to home, recent events meant that spending is going to be more constrained than originally thought. May I encourage the Prime Minister to ensure that we retain compassion in politics in these decisions, including maintaining the link between Benefits and inflation. Will she do that? Minister. We are we are compassionate Conservatives. We will always we will always work we will always work to protect the most vulnerable. And that is what we did with the energy price guarantee. We are going to make sure the most vulnerable are protected into year two. And I'm sure the Chancellor has heard my honourable friends representations on the contents of the medium-term fiscal plan. Stuart Malcolm MacDonald. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, like the public at large, I have supported the government in terms of the actions it has taken to support Ukraine, not least because of, of what's at stake there. But right now, in order to maintain that support, 
as the public deals with rising prices, inflation, mortgage costs and much else, Ukraine fatigue is a real and present danger. I am afraid to say to the Prime Minister she is now an active driver against that public support that has so unified many of us. That has so unified that has so unified many of us to do what needs to be done. So in a time where in a time where in a time where resolve and support of Ukraine needs to be steeled, will she make sure that she commits from the dispatch box that the economic and military and political support won't be another casualty under this Prime Minister? It was one of my first acts in office to make sure the military support we give to Ukraine is equal to the military support we gave this year. We must make sure Ukraine win. They can win, they will win, and they must win. Um, Mr Speaker, I would like to thank the Prime Minister for sticking by her words and giving communities in Fylde the final say on fracking. But, as always, the devil is in the detail. Can the Prime Minister assure me that local consent will be measured independently and transparently, and under no circumstances will fracking companies be directly engaged in assessing local consent? And if people in Fylde say no, that that view and that decision will be respected and acted upon by this government. Well, I very strongly agree with my honourable friend. I know this is something he cares deeply about. I can ensure him that we will consult on the robust system of local consent, give clear advice on seismic limits and safety before any fracking takes place. And the consultation will consider all of the relevant people, the regional mayors, the local authorities and parishes, as well as the concerns of those directly affected. And my right honourable friend, the Business Secretary, will be saying more about this later today. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Privatisation does not work. It does not work for our NHS. We have another Amber Alert in the NHS Blood Service, a service that this week's Chancellor sold when he was Health Secretary. And it does not work for our postal service, with Royal Mail Group taking £758 million in profit last year, yet our universal service obligation is at risk. Workers' pay conditions and 10,000 jobs are at threat. Will the Prime Minister continue to let obscene amounts of profit be made while services are cut and stamp prices rise, or will she launch an inquiry into the gross mismanagement of Royal Mail? Minister. What we need is an efficient postal service that delivers for people across this country, and that's what I'm focused on, not making ideological points. When I was in business, it was a real privilege to employ very many talented, bright young people. I always found that when you believed in somebody, when you gave them the opportunity, they went on to thrive in their career. That is why tomorrow, in North Norfolk, I will be launching my new scheme, the 100 Apprenticeship Challenge, to drive 100 new apprenticeships all over a rural constituency. 
Would the Prime Minister please thank not just my DWP office and Julia Nix, who has been fantastic, the district councils, the county councils and an awful lot of stakeholders have worked for over six months to deliver this fantastic scheme to drive growth and jobs for young people across my constituency? I do want to thank Julia and her team for the fantastic job they're doing, and also you as the local member of sorry, my right honourable friend as the local member of Parliament. Apprenticeships are a fantastic way for people to learn and gain experience, and I'm proud that we've created 5.1 million apprenticeships since 2010. Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister's Chief of Staff is in hot water after lobbying on behalf of a Libyan warlord and Big Tobacco. It turns out he's also lobbied for PPE giants Sante Global. Is it wise to have a lobbyist at the centre of Downing Street? Prime Minister! Mr Speaker, all appointments in Downing Street are properly checked through the propriety and ethics process, and that is the way that we do it in a completely impartial way. Andrew Mitchell. Thank you, Mr Speaker. When my right honourable friend was Foreign Secretary, I know that she was acutely aware of the importance of British soft power acting in our national interest. Will she confirm today the promise we both made in 2010 when this Government first came into office? that she will not balance the books on the backs of the poorest people in the world. Well, can I pay tribute to my right honourable friend for the fantastic work he did as International Development Secretary. And I am proud that we have rebalanced our international development budget to focus more on humanitarian aid and more on women and girls. And no doubt more details will be set out in due course. Sarah Owen. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The last Tory Prime Minister was forced out after a series of dodgy dealings and failing to take responsibility for any of it. So what's this Prime Minister getting the boot for? Her plan that crashed the economy, forcing fracking on communities who don't want it, will she do the decent thing and go and call a general election? I have taken responsibility and I have made the right decision in the interests of the country's economic stability. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Every single member in this House will have constituents waiting for treatment within the COVID backlog. The Health Secretary's priorities are absolutely right, including her B for tackling the backlogs. Can the Prime Minister reassure me that the Government is committed to the series of elective hubs that we've promised, including at the Royal Hampshire County Hospital in my Winchester constituency. Prime Minister. Well, the, my right honourable friend, the Health Secretary, has set out her plans to deliver on dealing with the COVID backlog, and she will continue to work on that and make sure we deal with what was a massive, you know, a massive pandemic, a massive pandemic, creating a backlog. We will deal with it. Yeah. Gardner. Since the mini-budget, thousands of my constituents have been in mental anguish and despair. I recognise that the Honourable Lady has faced a week of mental anguish and despair herself. She has been, had people angry with her. She's had people who have mocked her. But having had that experience, 
What will she now do to improve the health care, the mental health care for people in this country so that the, the, the anguish that they face in the coming months is properly responded to and dealt with? Well, my my right honourable friend, the Health Secretary, has set out a very clear plan of how we're going to deal with the backlog created by COVID, how we're going to make sure people get timely GP appointments and how we're going to improve on the services in our hospitals, including mental health services. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The government is facing tough choices, but people living with dementia face unlimited care costs, and that is not a choice. Can my right honourable friend assure me that she is committed to social care reform to end that worry and relieve pressure on the NHS? Yes, we are committed to social care reform. We do need to deal with those issues. Thank you, Mr Speaker. It's always better to see a Prime Minister at her desk rather than underneath it. And now that she's here... Now that she's here, I wonder if she could tell us why next week this House will be discussing legislation that will abolish vital protections on pension payouts, it will abolish our right to watch the Olympics free of charge and airline consumer laws. How is any of the retained law bill in the British interest? Minister. Well, Mr Speaker, I think we have yet another example of somebody who doesn't want to support the British public's decision to leave the European Union in 2016. Isn't it, isn't it quite, I'm sorry, isn't it quite incredible, Mr Speaker, that six years after people voted to leave the European Union, there are people who object to taking EU law off our statute books. Now, I'm a Democrat. I respect what British people voted for. Mr Speaker, 30 years ago, the Westminster Foundation for Democracy was created out of the war in Bosnia so that democracies could flourish and freedom and prosperity come with it. This evening, in your rooms, we celebrate that anniversary by hearing directly from our country representative in Ukraine, from the chair of the Taiwanese Foreign Affairs Committee, and the leader of the opposition in Uganda, a good example of the range of contacts that this great cross-party body funded by government is working with. Can I ask the Prime Minister if she agrees that this is a vital contribution by our government and our people to democracy around the world, and will she encourage members around the House to join us this evening? Prime Minister. Well, the Westminster Foundation for Democracy does a fantastic job, and I think we know from what has happened in Ukraine, the appalling war perpetrated by Vladimir Putin, just how precious democracy is and how much we need to do to work with our friends and allies to protect democracy around the world. And I do encourage colleagues from all sides of the House to attend the event tonight. That note completes Prime Minister's questions. I'll let the House clear.